listening to Nightcallers Bigfoot Radio. Good evening and welcome to Nightcallers Bigfoot Radio. You are here with your host, Lauren Smith. I am happy to be here with you all tonight. I have a Seth Breedlove here with me and he is uh, like like me battling some allergies. So if you guys hear us uh, mute out... Um, we're kind of both just coughing up a storm tonight, um, but we are both excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. I just finished the Washita Bigfoot Conference and Festival. I got in, I think about three or four o'clock today, and uh, I was out researching all night, so I'm tired, but uh, really excited to have Seth on. How are you doing tonight, Seth? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to talk about the Washitas, honestly. That's the most <laughs> exciting thing about all of this for me. Yeah, that's like his special, <laughs> that's very special to you. That place is very special to you. Yeah, well, it's like, it's, I think what's different, we were talking a little bit about like the Olympic Peninsula, but I feel like the Olympic Peninsula or like the Pacific Northwest in general gets a lot of play, mm-hmm. especially in Bigfoot circles, obviously. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Oklahoma slash Arkansas get very little right. notoriety outside of like Falk. Right. And um, I just feel like those are some of the most big, quote unquote, big footy places I've been <laughs> are, right. are in are in that part of the country. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I've experienced of my own took place in the Watchdogs. So. Yes. So, yeah, it's it's special to me, but also it's just totally unique. Like you just don't and you don't hear anything about it. Yeah. Like it, I, I knew so little about the Watchdogs and still know very little about the Watchtaws when, when we, when we went there and, mm-hmm. and I came away wanting to know uh, much more. Yeah, yeah. I came away wanting to know much more. And the, the Bigfoot history there goes back to the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Like it, and I mean, probably prior to that even, right. but I mean, it, it gets that, that uh, I forget someone in the NAWAC said, it's like, it almost has that like Bigfoot is a part of the culture there mm-hmm. and you don't know that until you get there. Right. And, and that was like what happened with me is like, I had no idea how much it's kind of celebrated culturally there until we got there. It really is. And it's, you know, cause it, it's celebrated in the Pacific Northwest because of Patty and just because of um, the native American culture up there as well. But it it overshadows, you know, here. It's the same mm-hmm. thing here. It's just not as well known by those who aren't from here or from right. that location. Because it's not all, all over Oklahoma that people even know that. It's not right. until you get to that region that you realize what a big deal Bigfoot is down there. Yeah, it reminds me of, so there's only a couple places that have that. Mm-hmm. Um, one is the Pacific Northwest, obviously, but then... Um, in certain locations in like the Adirondacks, you'll run into that mm-hmm. and, um, in New York and then, <clears throat> yeah, the Watchtaws. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like, there's like restaurants there that, that have Bigfoot all over them. There's like gift shops that sell Bigfoot yeah. stuff. Um, and it's very, there's no explanation either. See in the Adirondacks, I get it. Cause Whitehall's there and right. it's like, that's the big but what is it specifically about the Watchtaws in the Pacific Northwest? It's Patterson Gimlin film. And just, I guess, big, the fact that Bigfoot was kind of born there called, mm-hmm. you know, pop culturally. So what is it about the Watchtaws that they're celebrating when people 
aren't necessarily associating that region with Bigfoot. What is it specifically that started all that? That's kind of what I would be curious to know. You're do you have in, Do you have insight <laughs> to share with me? Um, I mean, so we have uh, Honubi. So you have the Siege of Honubi, and that's mm-hmm. a huge story, um, especially in Bigfoot culture, but also in the world, and that's in the Wash or the Kaimichis and the Washita's. Um, the Washita's kind of lead into the Kaimichis. It's like one big thing. Um, and then you have Falk in Arkansas, and you have Mina in Arkansas. The thing that ties all three of those together is that there are just sightings galore in the Washita's and Kaimichis. Mm-hmm. And so... To me, that's what makes it the Bigfoot culture so rich there is that there are just so many sightings. Like what you're talking about, the Kaimichis, what are they? I mean, like, what is that? What is that? Like, what? I've never heard of that. So, <laughs> so that's also I mean, a mountain it, range down there. Okay. Yeah. What is, is it um, like topographically? Is it like similar to, to, to the, the terrain and all that? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, and it, like, where do those run from and to? I'm going to have to have you back on with somebody actually <laughs> from there. Um, okay. But when I said earlier, you know, if you, whenever you come back this way, we're going to have to, you know, get together and show you that area. That's what I was talking about as well. That whole area. Okay, cool. So, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely coming back there. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't care. I don't care what happens. I have to, <laughs> I have to get back there. For sure. It's, it's gorgeous. And people... Like you said on, or somebody said on the film, they said, when you think of Oklahoma, you don't think of that uh, geography. You think of flat or you think Mm -hmm. of dust, tumbleweeds or whatever, but you don't think of mountains and trees and hills like that. And it is absolutely gorgeous down there. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, It's wild. It's like, um, it's like, uh, there were aspects of it that reminded me of, uh, the Smoky Mountains. mm -hmm. There were aspects of it that reminded me of the sort of like rainforest, mm-hmm. like dense undergrowth you get in in like the Olympic Peninsula, mm-hmm. and and there were parts of it that reminded me of like the Adirondacks, and then and then you've got that like connection to Falk, right. and like some of the swampier areas and like the creeks and the fact that um, the river that were some of those creeks that run through the Watchtaws like feed into eventually they wind their way down to Falk mm-hmm. and into the sulfur river and all that stuff. I mean, it's crazy. Like all that's interconnected, but yeah, yeah I, I, um, I mean, I have a special fondness for that place just cause uh, I experienced something there, but um, I just love the fact that it's so on under the radar. Right. And, and that's part of the charm is it's, it's really special to all of us who research there because it's, and what's bad is I feel like it's been researched. Some areas have been researched to death, but mm-hmm. um, I still go back. And so I haven't had a sighting or encounter there really. And I still um, am fond of it and go back all the time. That's my favorite place to research is in that uh, general area. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have, you wouldn't believe this list of questions. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I know we started out on the Washita's and I know it's very special to you and we'll get into that, of course. Um, so <laughs> what kind of started you into the the path you took with the paranormal Bigfoot cryptid? Um, what started you on that path? Which one came first? Um, I mean, I got into UFOs before I was into to Bigfoot. Okay. Um, 
And that would have been like my, my origin story for all of this is real boring. Um, I had a really boring desk job and I, I, to pass the time I listened to podcasts. Mm -hmm. And so like the podcasts I listened to started out as like video games and stuff I was into at the time. And then it morphed into things I wasn't into, but was starting to get a, a vague interest in and like Bigfoot and UFOs were kind of the first things that I remember listening to podcasts about. And then, um, I have this defect where I can't just have a hobby. I have to like somehow involve myself in the hobby. Uh, so over time, like I went from, I went from just having a hobby to, um, I guess like starting my own podcast and, and it, well, I guess it really started with like wanting to create a book about Bigfoot cases mm -hmm. around the United States called small town monsters. And that was in 2013. And then the book eventually became our first movie Minerva. So there's nothing, I, I just don't have the cool story that most people do regarding this stuff. I didn't, I didn't have an experience that got me into it. I didn't grow up really aware of Bigfoot or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, like the first time I became aware that people actually believed any of this was real mm -hmm. was when I saw um, the Mothman prophecies in 2000. Really? 2000, what was it? 2002 or whatever. Yeah. That was the first time that I became aware that there are people that believe like UFOs are real. Um, what? <laughs> so like, I, I just didn't, yeah, I just didn't grow up into this stuff. And um, and uh, it, it was boredom that got me into it. And then I got into it. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized it kind of like spoke to a lot of my existent interests, mm -hmm. which which tended to run fictional. Like, you know, I've always been like a big comic book nerd and love science fiction and, and movies and stuff like that. And, um, and these topics sort of spoke to some of those interests, but I mean, I guess too, it, it was just like at the time I was writing for newspapers mm -hmm. um, for, I was doing a lot of like freelance reporting and uh, I thought I could bring some of the things I had learned doing that job to, to these subjects, specifically Bigfoot at that time mm -hmm. and appr approach them in a way that maybe they hadn't been approached. Mm -hmm. Um, at least regionally here in Ohio. Right, right. And so that, that was where I started was like locally. And then it kind of bloomed out from there. So I know you think that's not that cool of an origin story, but here's the thing about Seth that y'all need to know about his films, about his works is they're well-researched. They are a new look at old stories. Um, the artwork and the graphics that he puts in there. I mean, it just really, I've so I have been my mom started researching 20 years ago so I grew up right next to her hearing every single story that came out every picture every video I have literally heard everything and so on your show some of the stories I've heard before but it was a new look at those stories and so it was kind of a refresher and they, you brought them about in a brand new way which was awesome so I know you think your origin story is not that cool, but for me, for you to go from that to bringing this, it's like, it's a huge service to this topic and to newcomers to this topic because people coming into this, they don't know anything about it. They watch your show or your, your films, your documentaries. They're not cheesy. They're not corny. They're informative, well-researched. That's a huge service to people like that. M and, Momo. You know. Momo's a little cheesy and corny purposefully. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to mention Momo. <laughs> I was going to mention all the other ones. Um, 
So I think you going from like a desk job to doing something like this is phenomenal. I think it's really special. Like, I think it's awesome. And that's actually something I was going to talk to is that you get to literally fly all over the United States, interview people about cryptids and paranormal, go out researching with them, make, you know, amazing films and documentaries about them. Like you're living the dream, man. You're living the dream. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think for sure, like I don't have, um, yeah, I don't have complaints about the job itself. Like what we do is, is insane. Everything I wanted to do as a, as a kid for a living, I'm doing, I mean, it was a weird like career path to get here, but it was, yeah, it's definitely what I'm doing is, is what I would have, have, have dreamed of doing as a child for sure. Um, and we get to like, I think the best thing about it is you're, you're learning about people and places I never would have learned about otherwise. Mm -hmm. And it's all because of these topics that, mm -hmm. you know, the public in general kind of consider absurd. Right. right so yeah. like, I mean, something like a, a place like Falk with a population of 600 some people, mm -hmm. I never would have known about falc if it wasn't for the falc monster yeah, yeah. and it's the same way with like minerva ohio you know like right. i i grew up here so i knew about minerva ohio right. but a lot of people were introduced to minerva ohio because of the minerva monster movie um so there's a there's a lot to be said for the value in the the paranormal and encrypted stories um and their impact on small communities and like how those communities can be introduced to the world at large Man, because of those should, uh, tales. You should do a series on that. Call it like small town something, you know. That's a good idea. Yeah. I might have to I might have to write a book proposal and send it to a bunch of publishers. All right, at some yeah, point. let me know how that works out cuz I think it might be Probably, successful. I, you might have something there. I don't think it's going to work out well. <laughs> yeah. Um no, but uh so I've watched um Almost all your work. You have you have a lot of projects. Man, you're a busy dude. So I've watched almost all of them. Um, and so whenever I was researching you and like watching your stuff, re-watching, because I watched it the first time as a fan and, and then the second time to have you on the show. And so I'm writing these questions and I'm just, I feel like I'm all over the place with them. But um, all I kept thinking the entire time was, man, this guy's living the dream. Like he's getting to do this. So I know that there's a lot of highs to that. You get to meet all these people and, and learn about all these things, but what are some of the mm -hmm. issue, the challenges that you face that come to mind besides, um, elevation? I mean, I guess the, the biggest challenge for me is that we have a three year old. Um, and last year I was probably out of the state for 70 days mm -hmm. Like it might've been a little bit more and he's, and you're missing those times. So that kind of sucks. Um, I think in time as he gets older, I think he'll be able to travel and hopefully be a part of the filmmaking and stuff. Right. Um, at least I'm hoping. Um, but uh, it's definitely, that's probably been the biggest challenge is just being away from the family. Um, beyond that, it's that, you know, it's we're running an independent production company that is funded solely by ourselves and Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So uh, we run a crowdfunding campaign at the beginning of the year that funds everything we make through the year. And then we dump 
thousands. We dump literally hundreds of thousands of dollars into SDM each year. Yeah. So just sustaining this is not something that has ever been done before. Mm-hmm. So we have to write the blueprint as we go. And what that means is like you fail a ton right. and figure out, you know, figure you, we're figuring everything out through trial and error. Right. And so all of that is pretty rough. Um, but as far as production challenges, I mean, that stuff is kind of becomes fun. <laughs> like you, you like every, every shoot you're dealing with a different set of like quote unquote challenges. And you kind of like, I, I mean, it all kind of, you learn as you go, that stuff I can deal with. It's the, it's the like financial stuff that goes on behind the scenes. That's terrifying and really like wears you down. But like the stuff that we deal with on shoots, you know, like even when I got sick in the Olympic peninsula, like it, it wasn't fun, but I mean, I was fairly confident I wasn't going to die. And I was just kind of like, you can die. Uh, Mark, Mark was really tempted to take me to the ER a couple of times actually, cause I could not breathe on the second day. Um, but like that stuff you just kind of deal with, like we were just filming in Adams, Tennessee, the Bell Witch project. And one of our guys, um, we were, we were out in the middle of this cornfield and we, we were at an old, a pre-Civil War grave site, like a cemetery. Mm-hmm. We had told one of our guys, do not get into the high grass because there's ticks everywhere here. And um, like he had to get a shot. So he like walked up in the grass and a couple hours pass and he started noticing these tiny, oh, no. they, they, they looked like poppy seeds moving seed around ticks. on him. Oh. And he realized he had picked up, uh, they're called seed ticks. Mm-hmm. So they're, yeah. Um, hundreds all over him uh so we had to go we ended up back at the the airbnb he's showering the way he ended up getting them off of him was he took a vacuum and was running it over his uh body and that was how he actually was managing to get them off we spent uh probably two hours trying to get all these ticks off him. Really so like smart. that's yeah that's just a typical that kind of production stuff you kind of like have fun with right, <laughs> as weird right. as as weird as that sounds but um uh, the, the, it's it's everything behind the scenes that kind of like stuff you wouldn't expect is what really like stresses you out. Mm-hmm. So it's you know like where where will we stay on this night? Where will we? What what car do we have to rent to fit this many people and this much gear in without breaking the bank and that kind of stuff? That's the kind of like production nonsense that my wife and I stress out over. Right, <laughs> right. I can imagine you almost have to have just one person that coordinates just that but yeah uh, it's so it's a whole team effort uh behind the scenes because so it's my wife and i kind of like run all the production stuff and then um but there's a lot of other people that kind of lend a hand Mm -hmm. and and 2020 late 2020 and 2021 is gonna be where we start sort of expanding the stm crew so um we're hiring um Aaron Gascon has been working on STM movies going all the way, way back to Boggy Creek Monster. He's coming on staff, um, hopefully Santino Vitale this year. Mm-hmm. And then we're expanding like the actual production crew beyond that as well. So all those people will start hopefully picking up m- more work in that area, which will free me up to do more editing. Because in 2021, I'm editing uh, five movies mm-hmm. as opposed to three which has been the norm 
insane. That's insane. I get stressed out about the slideshow for this show. So, mm-hmm. like, obviously, that's not my calling. But you do great, <laughs> and I love your work. So it's good. Um, all right. So, do you want to jump into Bigfoot, or do you want to um, talk about your other your favorite? Because I, I have a question. What is your personal favorite that you've covered so far? Is it Bigfoot? Um, Mothman, UFO, Champ. Um, do you have a favorite? It, I mean, well, it, it just depends because, like, big Bigfoot. I always go back to Bigfoot. Bigfoot's my favorite topic, um, because I think you can approach it in so many different ways. You can approach it as the you know sort of like regional monster story, or you can talk about it in very real biological you know, like undiscovered species terms and like, how do they live and what's a family group like and where do they, you know, like, how does that, mm-hmm. how does that work? Yeah. Um, honestly, right now it's the bell witch, man. I I've been sort of obsessing over the story for like the better part of a year now. And we started looking into doing the bell witch all the way back in 2017 is when we first started talking about it. Um, and I did not think I'd be able to get into it, but I've, I've really like buried myself in it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when it's all done, this is going to be top three. Cause it's right now it's probably Bigfoot Flatwoods monster. Um, and then maybe the Mothman, the problem with the Mothman that I have is there's so much to the Mothman story that I can't just say the Mothman. Cause that kind of like encompasses a lot of different things. So if I was talking about like, what are my favorite cryptid stories? I would say the Mothman 66 to 67 is, is, is is like my favorite cryptid story or paranormal story or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it's the short answer is Bigfoot. (laughs) Bigfoot's my favorite. And the Flatwoods monster is like usually a close second. Like I really love the Flatwoods story. Um, so I actually hadn't heard, um, the Flatwood monster, anything about it until today. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned you were coming on the show and someone mentioned that to me. Uh, so what can you tell me about that? Uh, well the Flatwoods, so there's a Bigfoot tie in there too, that I can talk about. You wouldn't expect it, but there is, um, in 1952, uh, there were a series of UFO sightings over the state of West Virginia. Um, objects streaked across the sky. Uh, they were kind of like the, these objects were actually spotted above Canada. And then they worked their way down the seacoast and came, came all the way down and were sighted as far away as Alabama. So like you could literally track the trajectory of these things, but a few of them seem to have actually come down in West Virginia, two of them within like 12 miles of each other. Um, one was uh, right near the Elk river outside of Sutton, West Virginia. And the other was in this village of Flatwoods, um, where these seven kids were playing football. They saw one of the objects go overhead and land on top of this hill. They went up the hill. Uh, on their way up the hill, they stopped at their house and got their mom and a dog and another boy named Gene Lemon, who was older. It's like 17 or 18. He was in the National Guard. And they went up the hill. When they got up there, they encountered a 12-foot-tall mechanical object like a creature it's not a creature despite what the the name of the the story is um what they described seems almost like a b2 rocket or v2 v2 rocket 
can't remember one of those something like that hovered toward them uh they took off down the hill and that's the story there's there's more to it than that but right, it's right. uh yeah. like at at its heart like that's really what the story of the flatwoods monster is what's interesting and the and the bigfoot tie-in is that years passed that becomes like a really big story at the time in 1952 those those kids ended up going on tv um they were flown to new york and went on tv and you know did interviews about this this was like huge national news um years later in the the late 70s maybe early 80s there were a series of bigfoot sightings that happened Mm -hmm. in um my Siri just thought I said Siri. Um, there was a series of Bigfoot sightings that happened uh, outside of Flatwoods. And for whatever reason, they, all the headlines about this mm-hmm. were, would state that the Flatwoods monster had returned. And so it gets a little convoluted if you're trying to do like internet research or newspaper yeah. archival research. Cause what you turn up is like, it almost seems, it's like there was a return of the Flatwoods monster in the 70s, but it's actually a completely different thing. It's like okay. a Bigfoot, a ton of Bigfoot sightings. And there's a lot of like West Virginia researchers, Bigfoot and paranormal researchers, guys like Les Odell, who does the the uh, cryptid, oh shoot, West Virginia case book something. Uh, he's going to kill me if he hears this. Anyway, Les, uh, <laughs> Les is like a West Virginia Bigfoot researcher. Uh, you should talk to him sometime. Uh, mm-hmm. Super cool guy. But he's, I know he's like lifted tracks near the the Elk River and over by the Sutton Dam and all that kind of stuff. So right in the Flatwoods Monster territory, there's also all these Bigfoot sightings. And there are also, like that's another area where they're starting to really like celebrate their weird history. Um, there's like a, a Flatwoods Monster Museum in downtown Sutton. And then there's a local general store that sells Bigfoot and Flatwoods Monster memorabilia that's pretty cool i mean that's that's pretty cool that almost like every the when you said it there were bigfoot sightings and then that it made me think of the high strangeness that you Mm -hmm. covered you covered that in a couple films that's that's just a west virginia i mean it's such a west virginia thing like you can't the the crazy thing about west virginia we keep going back there i sent you the poster for on the trail of ufos dark sky Mm -hmm. that's entirely west virginia and it's because like We've now made what? Um, that'll be our fourth film centered around West Virginia. That's and crazy. yeah, four of like 11. So, I mean, we've done a ton in West Virginia and um, we could easily do more beyond that. And it's just that there's so much that takes place in this, you know, rel- relatively small geographical area. Mm-hmm. And it's so varied, like phenomena wise. Um, and yeah, we've gotten into the, really high strangeness stuff too like invasion on chestnut ridge yeah yeah it's just the high strangeness because it came up in a couple films like it came up you know in the case files and i listened to that and then it came up again and but it was just interesting to me because i've you know been interviewing and a question that we usually try to ask our you know witnesses or researchers or whoever's on is have you had an experience mm-hmm. with a UFO and a Bigfoot or, you know, around the same time? So for those that for some reason are watching this show and haven't watched his films, um, he mentions the high strangeness, which is usually it's a UFO sighting. And then within um, minutes, hours, days, weeks, there's Bigfoot sightings. 
and they just seem to kind of coincide in mm-hmm. certain areas. And uh, so I was going to ask your thoughts on that. Like, what did you think about that? Well, I mean, the thing about that is um, I, I love those stories and I'm not um, averse to talking about them uh, and I'm not averse to that subject, mm-hmm. but you, you also have to understand that the preponderance of reports are mm-hmm. of what seem to be a creature living its life, not a, a, some sort of alien like species that came down on a ship and then right. beamed off, you know, like, so, so I think people get hung up on, well, there's so many reports. I hear this all the time. There's so many reports of UFOs and Bigfoot seen together and it's just not true. There aren't so many reports. Mm-hmm. There's, there's sure there are those reports. They do exist. But if you really look at, the the statistics of like how many of those high strangeness reports there are in relation to like how many there are of just someone seeing a Bigfoot cross the road or whatever. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's night and day. There's, there's yeah. very few, there's very few really weird reports. I mean, the, I always go back to this um, in Ohio, there's a Bigfoot investigator named Don Keating. And um, he's, he's, he's kind of like, he's in Ohio, he's the grandfather of Bigfoot research, right? He's also like one of the grumpiest people I've known and he really hates me now for some reason, but that's fine. Um, like he's, he's the godfather of Bigfoot research in Ohio. And this dude investigated tons of reports for a very long period of time, like sunk hours of his life into the subject. And in all that time, he never took a single report of a Bigfoot and a UFO. And it's just not as common as people lead you to believe it is. However, mm-hmm. it is true that there do seem to, when those reports do come up, they do seem to sort of take place in the same areas. So okay. you get, you know, on the Chestnut Ridge, you do get a lot of reports of UFOs and Bigfoot. Now, the skeptical response to that is that, that might be due to the fact that you have an investigator in that area who is willing to take any report, mm-hmm. you know, whereas like someone like Don might write some of the stuff off. Right. Someone like Stan Gordon might not. And so you right. get a larger preponderance of those reports in that area. I don't necessarily think that aligns with what we know about the history of the Chestnut Ridge, mm-hmm. because those reports, those really weird reports go all the way back to the 1800s. Right. So, um, so there's that, but yeah, I don't know what it is specifically about geographical regions that invite the weird stuff. I mean, like in the Watchtowers, how many reports do you know of people seeing a UFO and a Bigfoot? Well, not to well, I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Um, I know that I have friends who have seen one and the other at the same time. Um, okay. I don't know. To me. I don't know. I, I was going to make a moonshine joke, but I'll just keep that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, um, I, again, I don't write that stuff off. I just think that we, I, I see too many people who really want to connect those dots mm-hmm. and, and I, I balk at it because mm-hmm. it, it, it confuses a top, it confuses two subjects that are all already very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what I what we know about Bigfoot behavior historically, going all the way back to the 1800s, those reports there's a correlation between all that. They there's a behavioral there are behavioral characteristics that we can read in in those reports that align with things we know about Bigfoot today. Mm-hmm. Um, that flies in the face of a creature that is getting on and off of a spaceship that is capable of interstellar travel. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, you know, it, so, uh, so that's my weird convoluted answer to, okay. to that question. Answer. You answered that better than I could because I was trying to even figure out how to phrase that question to you. And so I just went with a basic way to say it, but, um, I mean, that's a, it's a very loaded topic, I mean, obviously sure. you dedicated you dedicated an entire episode to it. That's how you know loaded it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll just go ahead and go to Bigfoot mm-hmm. because you know that's that seems to be your favorite and my favorite. So, um, so when you did on the trail of Bigfoot, had you researched before that? Like, had you been out researching before that? Oh. I mean, I, I would, I would posit that I still have not been out uh, researching or investigating or however you want to put it. Um, I've, I have, I've spent a lot of time in the woods. Um, I mean, I grew up, my parents, uh, I grew up in a town, in a tiny town in Ohio with nothing but forest behind my house. I mean, literally like from, from my parents' backyard, you could walk to, to Salt Fork, which is an hour away. Like you could, it's, it, I grew up with a giant forest behind my house. So I spent tons of time in the woods as a kid. This is all I did. Um, but, but, uh, and, and, you know, when I got into the subject, we go for hikes and things like that. And I've spent nights in the woods. Mm-hmm. I just don't think I'm out there. I don't go out and try to have an interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, like the the filmmaking gives me at least an insight into that world that that I probably wouldn't get otherwise. Um, so I've been out with the NAWAC, and I've been out with uh, you know like Eric Altman and those guys in Pennsylvania, and I've been out. I mean, I'm sure I've been out. We were just out uh, with Steve Calls and and all the the uh, all these police what do they call themselves? The squash detective. It's all these like law enforcement dudes uh, up in New York. And we spent two nights out in the woods with them. Um, I've done all that. I personally have don't consider myself a Bigfoot researcher so much as as a filmmaker, but I've, I've been lucky enough to be on those trips. Right. So outside of that filmmaking stuff, I've, I don't think I've ever gone and like spend a night in the woods, like trying to have, trying to actively have an interaction with Bigfoot. So where you grew up um, was around the Minerva monster. Mm -hmm. And so I know that Minerva was special to you because it was around where you grew up. But I mean, that was also special because it showed that this was bigger than just the Pacific Northwest, that this thing is everywhere, like coming to a neighborhood near you. So, um, did you consider any of that when you were growing up? Like, did you think that you were going to find it or anything like that? So, I mean, the thing about it is like, it's like I said, I really did not gain an awareness of Bigfoot until 2002, 2003. I, 
I grew up hearing about Minerva Monster, mm-hmm. but it was such a it was such a like ancillary part of growing up in Bolivar, Ohio. <laughs> like you heard about it and kids said stuff like don't go out in the woods after dark or the Minerva Monster will get yeah. you. And I can remember driving around at night with my friend Gary when I was a kid. And the first time he told me about the Minerva Monster and his, and I think how that story went was there was another local monster. Um, there's a, a city, there's a tiny little village outside of Bolivar that I actually lived in for a short period of time called Mineral City. I mean, it's more rural than Minerva. This is this is like Fout type stuff. This mm-hmm. is a at one time it was like a coal mining town. Now it sits on a road that no one uses anymore. So it's kind of like slowly yeah. disappearing. Um, mm-hmm. And they have a local legend about an abandoned coal mine or train tunnel. I think it's actually a train tunnel where there was um, many the Mineral City monster, which was a Bigfoot like creature that lived in this tunnel. And it's weird because there's another, there's an identical story um, of old orange eyes, which is Mansfield, uh, um, Ohio. And that also has like a Bigfoot that lived in a tunnel yeah. in Cleveland. that got driven down to Mansfield and mm-hmm. it's, it's um, but yeah, it, that was the first time I remember hearing one of those like local monster stories was when Gary told me about the mini, the mini. And then that led into him telling me about the Minerva monster, okay. but it was like, it was just a spooky story he was telling to scare me. I don't right. think I really r- realized how real those events were, like real people. Real- You good? That was weird. It was um, UFO activity. I'm telling you. So, yeah, we're having a storm here, and, like, the lights didn't even flicker, but the... um, Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi just... Just enough, just a little, just enough to break it. Break it was my Minerva story was so boring, it was trying to get off. (laughs) That is definitely not it. All right. Let me connect with my team real quick and make sure that we are still streaming or buffering or Mm. something. Yep. Okay, they can hear me, but they can't see me. So that's that's fantastic. So. Oh, yeah, it's good on my end. (laughs) We're channeling the previous night callers where we were just a podcast, everybody. 
Um, yeah. Oh man, that's just, that's fantastic. Well, um, yeah, I just can't see, I can't, I can't see it, um, the, the video, yeah, I can't see it getting back up. It might reconnect itself, but I highly doubt it. Let me see if I can, done. I apologize, everyone. This is uh, the kind of the crap, crappy part about being live, not pre-recorded. So, oh, they can they can see me. I'm very glad I wasn't picking my nose or anything <laughs> the whole time that I was reading that. Okay, thanks, guys. Okay, so I'm gonna jump right into Bigfoot just in case. Some other weird thing happens and we lose lose that again. Okay. Um, so do you believe in Bigfoot? Oh, I'm 80%. Okay. Yeah, I'm not I'm not 100. I was 30% when we made I was probably more like 20% when we made um when we went to the Watch Taws, mm-hmm. but I came out of the Watch Taws at like 80. I honestly probably came out of the Watch Taws at like 100, but I you have this time where your brain can kind of like adjust and start Mm -hmm. coming up with skeptical responses to what happened to you. And then you can kind of like, and then you, you start to downplay it a little. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm 80% that they're there um, because I don't have an alternate explanation for what we experienced in Mm -hmm. area X. Um, Mm -hmm. I just know it was something. It, I, there's to me, there's no other explanation than right. than Bigfoot. So I'm left with just the typical questions then of like, why don't we have a body and all that kind of stuff? Right. No, it, you know, I always tell people that um, whenever they come to me and they're like, I think I had a sighting this weekend and let me tell you. And they tell me about it. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's amazing. Um, write it down, write down every single thing that happened because Within the next 48 hours, you're going to try to talk yourself out of every single bit of it because your brain wants to make it, you know, logical. Um, and then you can go back and read it later and see if maybe, okay, you know what, now that I think about it, that was not that, you know, and that's fine. But write it down so you don't lose the details. Yeah, um, I think that's a, I think that's a really good, I think that's a really good thought because like what we, I think the skeptical stuff is good. I think that's a good thing to do because you can really, you can you can probably talk yourself as you can probably talk yourself into a lot of stuff otherwise, yes. but there's, there's things that happened that night that, that we had to like, we had a rock thrown at us and then this weird screaming and everything. Um, we didn't see anything, but the, I, I know enough about the outdoors and I've experienced enough in the outdoors and we can look up enough about the outdoors to know that what we experienced wasn't, owls in a tree or you know the typical (laughs) sort of stuff that you would say you were misidentifying when we experienced what we experienced 800 pound owls Mm -hmm. that's what i call them yeah Um, because they like to mimic owls yeah um so that's what did it for you was the rock throwing and 
Um, yeah, I think it was like as stupid as that might sound. No. I mean, there were other things that happened in X that week. Um, you know, there, there were smells and sounds, distant sounds. Like I heard something that sounded a lot like an Ohio howl mm-hmm. at one, actually earlier in the same day that we, we had the rock thrown at us. Um, and I mean, Daryl Collier had been sighting one of these things in on his rifle on our first day there yeah. uh, within three hours of getting out of the truck in X. So like that was so so you so I'd been experiencing things, but and like I hadn't, you know, I'd literally never had anything happen in the woods that I couldn't Im- explain away or kind of with time rationalize. Right. Um so what, what we experienced was something throwing a very large rock, hitting a building, a metal, the metal roof of a building, which is what you would hit if you're trying to make noise with a rock. Mm-hmm. And then um, well, like letting out a, <laughs> an insanely loud human-like whoop and then laughing like a gibbon for about 20 seconds. And... And we were in a place, you know, that's nowhere near civilization. We were two and a half hours from the nearest paved paved road mm-hmm. um, in the middle of nowhere. So there's no people there unless they want to get shot. And everyone in that group, I know, and you know, they're not. They weren't up in the woods whooping at us. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, like that. Honestly, the thing about it is, I was in there with four people plus Adam Dugan, who was with me. Mm-hmm. So it was five other people besides myself. So just six of us in there. If it was any other group of five, I probably would have questions, except that I know every single pe- person in this group um, fairly well. And it, it would be a- a- absurd to, that anyone in the group would would hoax it. So, right. yeah, I mean, there's so many th- variables about that weekend that kind of like just when I came out of there, I just... They had. They have to be. Not they have to be. It doesn't have to be real, but I can't come up with an alternate explanation for what happened to us that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Right. You know, I mean, you're like, okay, well, it could be nuts. Maybe it was a nut in a tree falling off and hitting this. Right. Except it was so loud it literally echoed across the valley. Mm-hmm. Like it had to be the loudest. And people will say, well, man, acorns will make those noises, dude. Like I've heard. Have you ever heard of? You heard a walnut fall out of a tree. Like I've had every single. Yes. These people try to tell you what you heard. And, Mm -hmm. and I get it. Like I used to do that stuff too. I mean, we called the day after we left, um, we left the next morning and on the way out, we called uh, Brandon, one of the other crew members. So we could tell him about it just because I knew he'd be psyched about it. And like his fur, I mean, like immediately he's like, well, dude, um, owls make weird noises. Let me tell let me, and like, he starts talking to me about owls and like, I'm just like, all right, like yeah. I get, I, I finally get it. Like I get, I finally get how annoying it has to be to be like a witness and just constantly every single time you tell your story, you have people tell you, well, this is probably what you actually experienced. So like now I understand. And yeah, they, no, they I totally well. get it. They mean sure. well. They're like, oh, well, you're just wrapped up in the moment and the adrenaline and it's it's okay, you know, that you yeah. think you saw that. And it's like, no, I had somebody tell me, well, it's, you know, it's just probably a monkey, you know, uh, standing on a barrel in the woods or something. And I'm like, 
that's not that's more plausible than Bigfoot for sure. Like, let's go with that, you know? Yeah. Like that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. But um I know animals make weird noises, and so I have to explain to them like when we get something, we go and we find, you know, that sound and whatever animal made that sound. I said, we the thing is Bigfoot researchers, most Bigfoot researchers are the biggest critics and the biggest skeptics of themselves. Like we will do everything we can to say it was not Bigfoot. It's very rare that we actually say that was Bigfoot. Like mm. we go, we go do everything we can to make, to discount that noise. Um, and owls do make weird noises. I know, but. Owls make weird noises. Fox <laughs> make weird noises. Uh, coyote make weird noise. There's yeah. the mountain lions. We, we know there were mountain lions in the area where we were. Um the closest thing we could find. So the thing about it is what we heard, the sound that we heard, there's two elements. There's the whoop and then there's the laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, the whoop, I always say, sounded like an Apache war whoop from a John Wayne movie. Like that's the closest thing I can sort of compare it to. The, the laughter was like a gibbon. Um, we, we played every kind of sound we could uh, when we when we left the next day, we went over every sound we could, and the only thing that sounded remotely like what we heard was a given, mm-hmm. um, a given laughter. Um, and 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 this was even the, the other thing that's hard to explain to someone is sort of the volume of what you're hearing and the depth of what you're hearing. Yes. Um, you know, like it wasn't this thing. First of all, the hill where the sound came from was maybe a hundred feet away from my tent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, yeah. it was close. Like it was, this thing was super close to us. Um, the night before we had shot very clear footage of what appears to be eye shine on this hill watching us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get this scream and the laughter. It's the, it was the volume of what we heard, especially the whoop. Um, I mean, that whoop mm-hmm. sounded like it was coming from a human. Like it was, it was mm-hmm. that kind of like human sized lungs. Like it's yes. something big letting out that sound and your brain, th- your brain's saying human, because I think, mm-hmm. you know, like that's the, you've never heard anything like right. this, you know, on that scale before. Um, my biggest regret, honestly, is that I didn't run out toward it. Because yeah. that was my yeah. that was my initial instinct, and when I sat up, the only thing that kept me from doing it was mountain lion. Um, oh, we 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 smart. knew we knew there was a mountain lion that had been on that hill mm-hmm. the week before. Um, yeah. So I was like, "There's no way I'm running up there." Plus, your brain. I, I had been battling a migraine, like vicious migraine, for for two and a half days the entire time we were in there. I could not get rid of it. Um, and so I had just fallen asleep when this thing did this. So I was also kind of pissed off because I was was like, I was like just about to sleep. I had to drive seven hours the next day back to Nashville or whatever it is, five hours, six hours back to Nashville the next day. Um, I had a big meeting the next day, a big phone meeting that I had to take in my hotel whenever I got into Nashville. So like I was, I was more irritated than anything when it happened. The rock hits. I sit up. Um, Adam sits up. I might have turned on a light. I don't remember. But I looked at Adam and I said, stuff's about to start. 
and then it whooped and then started laughing. Oh, and so I, I thought what we were going to experience was like the rain of rocks or like there's right. all these things they've experienced right. in there. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be that, but it wasn't that. It was this one, ex- one thing. Mm-hmm. You know? And that was it. And what's crazy is we all, you know, like I, I jump out of the tent. I run, we had put our tent outside of the camp because mm-hmm. we were, Idiots, I guess. Um, I we're a little fur- further outside of the, <laughs> I say outside the camp, like we're way outside. We weren't like, we were just further away from everyone else. That's what I do. Um, I'm bait. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, we were apparently, but like I jumped out and uh, as soon as I jumped out, um, Brian came out of the cabin and then behind Brian came Daryl. Daryl was like in nothing but a pair of boxer shorts. And he had a huge rifle. And I'm just like, this is, Perfect. This is absolutely <laughs> exactly what I would expect of like going, going looking for Bigfoot in the woods, That's but um, it wasn't there, you know, like it wasn't up on the hill. It's weird, man. Like I, I replay that in my head over and over. Cause I would, I would kill to see something mm-hmm. like it frustrates me more than anything that I didn't see anything because the thing I try to explain to people is that the way we talked about Bigfoot before that trip and the way we talk about Bigfoot after that trip is very, very different. Really? Like before, before the trip, it's all kind of regional monster type stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and maybe you're talking about police reports and like, Mm -hmm. you know, like these people, spooky story crap. Um, And after that trip, it was like, how did they survive here? What are they eating? What are their families like? How old was that thing? We really think what we heard was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, We got the impression it was doing something it shouldn't have been doing. Like, like maybe, like, yeah, like maybe out of like curiosity, it had like come over to the camp. Mm -hmm. It threw that rock and it was psyched that it hit that roof. Like that was (laughs) kind of, that was kind of like, you know, like you, you got the impression this was like a primate and it's mm-hmm. Jack that it just was able to mess with you. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, um, I really liked that thing, whatever, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like whatever, whatever, whatever creature that was, I really would like to meet that thing. Cause, yeah. cause it was, uh, it's pretty cool. I'm, I mean, that's another side of this is I'm not one of the, like, for a guy that makes movies about quote unquote monsters. Mm-hmm. I am am not into the whole like Bigfoot is a vicious killer thing. Mm-hmm. That's just not me. Yeah. Um I don't buy into that. Mostly because I think if that was the case, we'd know they exist and we don't know they exist. Yeah. We don't definitively know they exist. I think right. if they were murdering everyone that walks into the woods, um there'd be bodies littering the tra- mm-hmm. <laughs> the trails yeah. and and that kind of stuff. And that's not the case. No, I, I just want to know more. Like, I, I want to know, you asked if I've been out in the woods and like on the trail of Bigfoot, no, you, you didn't ask if I've been out in the woods. I've been out in the woods. You asked if I've been researching on the trail of Bigfoot is my excuse to, to involve myself in that world. Right. And so like doing stuff like on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey and on the trail of Bigfoot, the discovery, and then whatever comes after that, that is, those are going to be much more investigative than on the trail of Bigfoot, the legend and on the trail of Bigfoot, the search. So if you think of on the trail of Bigfoot um, episode five, which is the area X episode, the Mm -hmm. NAWAC episode, all about the the watchdaws. Your favorite. I would expect 
that style of storytelling from on the trail of Bigfoot going forward more so than this sort of like historical, um, you know, recap of the Bigfoot subject. I basically made that series with the idea that it was going to be a one and done um, my PBS style look (laughs) at, at the Bigfoot subject. And that's really like what it is. It catches you up on the history of the subject up to the present day. And then we're done. But there's, I had so much fun doing that, episode five in that way where it's like it's this investigation that you're part of Mm -hmm. that was what I wanted to do going forward now the journey is a little different because the journey is going to be all about our trip to New York and it's going to be as much about like why nature is important to us as human beings Mm -hmm. um, as it is about Bigfoot (laughs) someone said it looks like the endless summer of Bigfoot films and I think that's probably pretty accurate but like I'm okay with it. I know that a ton of other people in this community are okay with that. Mm. Um, I wanted to share a quote real quick. Uh, mm. I wrote this down and I literally put it on a post-it on my desk. Uh, <laughs> you made the quote. so Oh. Oh, yeah. No, but it's really good. It really, it, it resonated with me. Um, mm. Seth said, I find mm. myself wondering if maybe the search for Sasquatch is motivated as much by a desire to explore the wilds as it is to find an answer to a centuries-old question. End mm-hmm. quote, Seth Breedlove. So, that is entirely <laughs> what On the Trail of Bigfoot the Journey is about. <laughs> it is, and that's where it's from. But, um, or no, it's from the other one. But, mm-hmm. oh, man, that just, man, that hit me. Because I always tell people, I go hiking out in the woods, I go camping out in the woods, and for me, I do research. I go out there to research. And if I don't get anything, I at least got to go out into nature and do my thing. You know, yeah. so if I get some Bigfoot activity, that's a perk. But for me, I mean, at least I'm out there doing what I love. Yeah, I think I think there's something to this whole thing that goes beyond just looking for an undiscovered creature in the woods. Mm-hmm. I don't know how... I think you can get real metaphysical with it. Like you can get, you can get real weird with it. I have that um, written down too. <laughs> yeah. But like, but like you can get, you, I mean, con- there's something going on here beyond just like looking for Bigfoot mm-hmm. for a lot of us. Um, and like, there's a, there's a motivating factor. There's, I don't know. I don't know how to verbalize it either. It's, it's weird. I've been trying because I really want to make, that's kind of the theme of on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey. Um, so I'm still kind of working through my own thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting, I'm, I'm not personally getting weird with it. I just think you could get real weird with it. Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah, we need it. Like some of us need the, that motivating thing to get us out there. And it's funny, like almost everyone we interviewed, we asked them about that. Um, and I'm talking again, this is all talking about on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey, which doesn't come out for like another six months. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, we asked every single investigator about that. Like how much of this search is about just being out in the woods mm-hmm. and more so, even more so than like trying to find something. And mm-hmm. every single person said, that's like, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Like, because they might come out and have no interaction whatsoever. They might find nothing yeah. time and time again, but no matter what, they never leave feeling like they've failed. Mm-hmm. Like they, they spent time with people. They, yeah. they, yeah. they enjoy spending time with and they, they're out in the woods. Um, you know, and I don't think that's, 
I don't think that's unanimous. I don't think everyone's that way. There's guys that are genuinely only motivated by the quest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, DeHinden was probably that way. <laughs> um, I would I would assume that someone like John Green was that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Daryl Collier from the NAWAC is probably that way. <laughs> like I think a, I think those <laughs> yeah I think those dudes that are out there. You know, like that is that that is genuinely what is motivating them. That's mm-hmm. why they're out there. Oh, but beyond that, like b- beyond that, I think that a lot of us are doing this. Um, are, th- we're finding more than just the the search for Bigfoot when we're going out there. Oh, absolutely. That that brings us back over and over again. You bond. I mean, um, well, I mean, you're you're out in nature, and that's amazing anyway. But you bond with your people that you're with as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we yeah. have a good time. Yeah. I mean, like what, what I found is that, so we made on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey, and it was planned for, you know, a year or whatever. I mean, we, we planned it long before COVID, but what happened is COVID hit. And so then everyone's locked in their homes for mm-hmm. months on end and we're not allowed out in the, well, they're telling us we're not, I was going out anyway, but like people Same. are telling, <laughs> telling us, you know, we're not supposed to be going into the woods. Yeah. Um, and so when we were able to do, when we were able to get the ga- get the band together, right, get the band back together, and we're able to hop in a rental car and drive all the way to New York and go up into the woods and climb mountains and stuff, the that experience is unlike anything I've ever had on a shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I don't, when I think of on the trail of Bigfoot the journey, I don't think of a film shoot. I, I think of like this. Ad- adventure that I happened to be filming when I was there. Um, and so that's why I think that project's going to be so different from everything else we've made, because that is that movie is going to be about that. It's going to be about our trip to the Adirondacks after we've all been locked up in our homes for, for months <laughs> and like the re- rejuvenating factors of being back out in nature after that much time of being away from it. Right. Yes. Um, like, yeah. So yeah, I I don't know where I was going. With I that. mean, yeah, getting it is like I always tell people, you know, I have to go get my mother my dose of mother nature or I get cranky. Mm-hmm. And um a lot of people so um I'm going back to school and so in my class we had to talk about um what we thought the effects of COVID nineteen were on America and the probably seventy five percent of the class they said, um you know, I've gotten out into nature, I've gotten outdoors more. And I've, you know, they said they changed their life or they figured out what they were doing just, you know, wasn't right. And they wanted to go try something else. And that's a lot of people that I see. Mm. But if you look, because when COVID hit, I was looking for a kayak. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You you still can't find a kayak. They are sold yeah. out everywhere. Every single person got outdoors. Yeah. When what we found was like... So we went to the Adirondacks and we're in New York, which at that time, keep in mind, this is, I cannot remember if this was June or July when we went, but I mean, you're talking numbers in New York city were still really high. Mm -hmm. So New York state was locked down still. Um, Actually the week after we left, they did the mandatory 14 day quarantine. If you came in from out of state. So we beat that by one week. But when we were there, oh, you know what? It was it was July 4th. We were there over July 4th mm-hmm. weekend. 
um, the the roads were lined with cars because people were hiking. Like everyone was hiking. You can you look up on the mountains and there's climbers on every. We took a helicopter flight up into the high peaks, mm-hmm. and the mountain the mountain peaks are littered with people. I mean, just like people everywhere, okay. and like. Um, I mean, I, you know, like the, you just, I, I think we take it for granted. <laughs> like you really take this stuff for granted mm-hmm. um, until you're in a situation where like you're not supposed to be going yes. yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and for me, travel is like a big part of my life. Like um, I grew up in a fam. My mom owned a historical bookstore okay. <clears throat> when I was a kid. So we did book shows every weekend from the time I was six years old till I was 18. Um, I traveled every weekend from March until November, we were on the road. And so like, I grew up traveling like, you know, three, four days out of every week I was on the road. So like, I'm, I've always told my, my wife, I, I'm more comfortable in a hotel bed than I am in my own bed. Like I just sleep better in a hotel. Like it's from being on the road so much. Um, so to be in a situation where for what was it like three months, we weren't supposed to be doing that felt very unnatural to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because the New York trip wasn't my actual, that wasn't my first trip. My first two trips were actually West Virginia <laughs> fittingly uh, to finish filming on the, tri- or uh, to film, finish filming the Mothman legacy. But my first trip where it was like, let's get out of the car and hike up, up into that mountain was mm-hmm. New York. So it just, the whole, that entire like lockdown experience felt very, uh, it was like anti-Seth. <laughs> it, it was weird for everybody. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Like the entire country, but I took it, I took it personal. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm sorry. Sorry for your anti-Seth moment that you went through, but it's funny. Um, speaking of travel. So is there one part of the country that you think is more likely to have activity or have um, produce activity or evidence than another? Because you've been everywhere. You've, you've lived the dream. You've gone all over the U.S. shooting Bigfoot. So I haven't been. So there's a few places I haven't been. I haven't got to go Bigfooting or like really up into the mountains in like um, Montana. Right. So mm-hmm. I need to I need to get up into the mountains in Montana. I've been to the base of the bitter roots and it's freaking gorgeous. So I really want to do that. Um, Colorado, we're going to be doing some UFO stuff um, this year. So I'm, I'm going to get to see those areas. And I haven't been down into like the deep, like the Everglades in Florida yet. Um, yeah. So those are all places I need to really experience. Um, like I think the watchdog, <laughs> I think the watchdog. <laughs> That's okay. I am um, an Oklahoman and I am so yeah. proud that you are, just, no, you know, I think had that experience in the Washita's. I think it's the Washita's. I think it's the Adirondacks, and I think it's the the Pacific Northwest. Like those are the three places I've been where I where I think they have to be there. You know, like Ohio's. There's parts of Ohio that are perfect, mm-hmm. but you also have to realistically look at Ohio, and we're developing it. Like mm-hmm. I'm in for I'm in Wads. Yeah, I'm in Wadsworth. Um, we're 30 minutes south of Cleveland. We moved in here because we thought it was a nice little town 
we liked it because it had this like Mayberry vibe. Mm-hmm. And since we've moved in here, every cornfield or pocket of forest it, within city limits mm-hmm. is gone mm-hmm. and developed. And, you know, in the 90s, there were reports right outside of Wadsworth of what they called the River Sticks monster. And the farmers would see it and it was seen on River Sticks Road and all this stuff. And you drive there today and you're like, there's no way there's anything here because yeah. it's all developments yeah. and and condos and houses. And so Ohio, if they're in Ohio, you know, north northeastern Ohio, down where my parents live and all that stuff, that's not being developed. That's there's still a lot of forest down there. Mm-hmm. Um I don't buy into the whole salt fork as a Bigfoot Mecca idea. I think it's kind of nonsensical, (laughs) but um, there are some really cool spots down in that part of the state where I could, you know, Woodbury wildlife area. Um, There's some really weird stories that have come out of there. Um, My, my, uh, my wife's grandpa owns like 50 acres um, over near Cambridge. And there's a lot of weird stuff that happened over there. Um, So like there's, Ohio, sure, like there's parts of Ohio that are perfect, mm-hmm. but I think people that I think I think there's this idea that Ohio is like one of the meccas of Bigfoot, it and hurt, I think yes. I think I think there's this I think it's pushed because of the conferences and stuff that yeah. take place here, yes. and I just don't buy into it anymore. Maybe in the '90s and prior to that. Um, but, but I think the, you know, if, if they're in Ohio, they're more toward Pennsylvania, which means they're more in Pennsylvania <laughs> and more in yeah. Pennsylvania and West Virginia, um, Kentucky, you know, like those states, the thing about Kentucky, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, they all get overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, like Western Pennsylvania, there's tons of forest, West Virginia, there's tons of forest, mm-hmm. You don't have as many people in West West Virginia, so they're they're able to stay hidden. Maybe mm-hmm. there's there's huge, massive, you know, wilderness areas and wild areas in West Virginia. Uh, same with Kentucky. You know, there's not as many people out in the woods and in the hills mm-hmm. and hollers. There's a lot of places to hide. Tennessee's mm-hmm. that way. I so mean, there I don't are, know. And there's a lot more caves in those areas too. That are yeah, you know, yeah. The, the only thing about that. Um, I grew up in in Bolivar, and those areas, like from Bolivar on down south, mm-hmm. those were all at one time coal mined areas, mm-hmm. and a lot of that land is still privately owned, and no one goes on it. Mm-hmm. So that's like that's there could be activity back there, but no one's going to know because yeah. there's no one back there. Um, so so oh, I think Ohio. There's a lot of there's a lot of misconceptions about Ohio and I think there probably is activity in Ohio. I just, I think of the places I've been, the Washtaws, the Adirondacks and the Olympic Peninsula. That's kind of like the big three for me. Yeah. You kind of hit all my bucket list spots. Um, so, you know, congrats. Um, you know, but, (laughs) but you know, I, I, I think that there, the, the Ohio thing, I think a lot of it is the South. Um, a lot of us here, we hear of like the Salt Fork Conference and we're like, oh my gosh, like we, you know, that's Mecca. And, you know, we hear about all that. Um, so really it's just you guys, you know, uh, stealing our money and getting us up there and, you know, yeah. So now we're doing the same it, with the Washita's. Yeah, do it. Cause <laughs> the, 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 that area is so, so massive. I mean, that's the thing about 
like the Watchtaws and the Adirondacks is those are massive pockets of wild land. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I say pockets, but I mean it's it's massive swaths of 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 wild land. Uh, the the Adirondacks is six million acres. It's it's bigger than five of the biggest national parks crammed together. Like yeah. you you cannot we we drove from the sort of like north central, not all the way to the northernmost part of the Adirondacks. We drove from there down to the southern part and we exited near Syracuse, New York. And we were on the road driving through Adirondack Park for three and a half hours. Like you can't fathom how big the Adirondacks are. Um, and and there are places there. When we took this helicopter ride, you get an idea. Oh, yeah, there's no one's been at that lake there on top of that mountain ever. Like right. yeah. maybe yeah. some crazy person's hiked up there, but why right. would you? Mm-hmm. Like um, y- you can see once you're th- – that's something like – for for making these Bigfoot projects, um, I think getting in a helicopter is probably the, the thing I'm going to do every time now going forward because that really just gives you a perspective on what you're looking at that a drone can't do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the Washita's back to the Washita's. Um, so I talked to a guy over the weekend and he's an avid hiker. And so when you, when you hear hiking, you hear, you know, the Appalachian trail, you hear the Pacific um, you know, you hear the PCT, you hear the superior trail, you hear all these trails, but the Washita has a hiking trail and it's over 200 miles long. Mm-hmm. And this man, he went hiking with a buddy and they actually had, they had been out there for days and days and days. And finally this other hiker is coming towards them and they talked to the guy and he said, I haven't seen anyone in 10 days because that's how vast it is out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, even during busy season, you just hardly see anybody out there. Yeah. We were there in June and we, we saw, um, and we went up to like, uh, what is it? The three, there's like a monument and it looks like three. Yeah. That I have my picture in front of that. Um, (laughs) we were up there and there's like no one anywhere. (laughs) And we were at like, what seems to be kind of a touristy spot. Um, but, but like, once you get into like some of the, you know, the hiking areas there, Mm -hmm. there's, there's no one anywhere. It's a very like, there's there's the what is it the lake what's the big lake is that Watchtaw Lake or something there's like a big lake with like lodges and stuff on it a lot of them I don't know I don't know okay okay <laughs> there was there was a very touristy one mm-hmm. and that was like the only spot that we saw where it, it reminded me of like a sort of prototypical vacation spot type right, place yeah. but for everything else we saw it was so it was so rural and isolated Mm -hmm. and you've got the best thing about it to me is you've got these people kind of living on the edges of that Mm -hmm. and i'm like those are the people that are experiencing all the stuff they are so i drive by those houses and i see them and my first thought is like what do you do for a living to live out here i mean like 60 miles from the nearest town what do you do for groceries but also what do you do for a living and then like my next thought is instantly like how much how much bigfoot activity do you have that you may not know is actually bigfoot activity and you know can i can i come like research your place and yeah i have this like driving down the highway i'm just i want to go research everybody's property i'll probably be shot one day yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not good. But yeah, don't do that. Um, in Ohio, it's funny because like we have that in Ohio because um, we have a national park. So I live, I live twenty minutes from Ohio's national park, which is Cuyahoga Valley National Park, and 
it's the weirdest national park in the country, I think, because it's, it's this massive swath. I guess you could call it a pocket of forested land that, um, sits in between two of the biggest cities in the state. So it sits in between Akron and Cleveland. And the, there are parts of CVNP that are actually policed or, or the ranger, the rangers are uh, Metro Park Rangers mm-hmm. from Cleveland and Akron that help monitor it. Mm-hmm. So it's a really weird uh, national park because you, you know, it's this huge forested area with these really like dense woods and like waterfalls, there's waterfalls everywhere and really like crazy rock formations, all this kind of stuff. But it's sitting in between these two like very populated areas. Um, it's also unusual for a national park because there's people living in it. There's, there's even a town called Peninsula that's like in the middle of the park. Um, so it's very unusual, but there are more BFRO reports in CVNP than any other part of the state. Really? And and I know from talking to people that live um, in the park that the the people that have the most activity are the people that live on the very edges of like kind of the really wild parts of the park. Mm-hmm. And like those people, like they, there's, there's one trail that I go on all the time called Oak Hill trail. It's a creepy trail anyway, because there's been multiple dead bodies showing up on that trail over the years. Cause you got to think it's a, It's a national park in between two massive metro areas with a lot of crime. So, so every time someone gets killed, they get taken to CVMP and they dump the body in the river or something. Um, There's also a lot of like weird, I I try not to talk about this on any, any shows like this because I've gone hiking off trail in there before and come across certain things that I shouldn't probably have seen like you're gonna be silenced somewhere yeah. like this is the last time you're gonna hear stuff okay you guys um, say bye <laughs> but but like the point i'm making is like those people that are living at like in the park are the ones that have like really interesting stories mm-hmm. um oh, you know like there there was one family in particular that lives near that trail who claims they've seen like an entire family of mm-hmm. these things living in the woods so and and it's crazy because you're you don't, you can't, I can explain this to you, but until you're here and you see it, it is the most bizarre thing to know how close you are to these massive cities. Right. And then in the middle, smack dab in the middle of that is this huge forest. I mean, just a huge sort of forest with, with um, terrain that is unlike anything you would expect to find in Ohio, like very very hilly, you know, yeah. like these tons of Ohio doesn't have a water, a lot of waterfalls. I'm like obsessed with waterfalls. Um, Cuyahoga Valley has like 18, like in this one park. So it's awesome. It's got like, it's got like everything you can want. And there's, there's some really cool Bigfoot stories that I've been told personally by people. Um, like there was this one guy I knew who who claimed he had a Bigfoot parallel him and a buddy one night. They were walking on these train tracks and it supposedly was in a swamp. Uh, they thought it was like a log. Mm-hmm. They watched it for a second, then it stood up and started oh moving God. toward them. They took off running down the road track and it was paralleling them through this Those swamp. Are my favorite kinds of stories. Yeah, I mean it was it's just a it's just a really crazy place and it's uh it's it's one of my favorite to go to as well. Well, you're very, you're lucky that you live so close to that. I mean, that I would be out there all the time. I know you're on the road making mm. amazing movies for me to watch, but I would be out there all the time. 
Yeah, okay, I try so, to go as much as I can. My okay. kid loves it too, so I oh I drag God. Tommy in there with me a lot. Your kid is so cute. <laughs> Please yeah. post more pictures every chance you get. Um, so we have some questions from the chat. They've been very patient. Mm-hmm. Um, so one question, the first question is from Bear O'Brien from Australia, mm-hmm. and uh, Bear is a huge fan. So he says, apart from yourself, has anyone on your film crew experienced anything during the filming of the documentaries? No. Um, the, the one exception to that would be when we were filming Boggy Creek Monster, um, we were setting up an interview. This is in Boggy Creek Monster. You can actually hear this sound. But while we were filming Boggy Creek Monster, we were setting up an interview between Lyle and I forget his name. Darn it. I've made a lot of movies. We've interviewed like 150 people. So some of the names are starting to blend together, but we, he was, we were setting up an interview. Um, and while we were doing setup, Brandon had just started running audio. So he had his headphones on and he caught a really weird scream off in the distance. Um, in a very, I mean, where we were as, as isolated down in Falk as you can get, like we were, we were back near the lake where, um, if you've seen Legend of Boggy Creek, which I can see you have, um, <laughs> if um, it's it's the, we were setting up near the lake where uh, her oh what's his name Herb Herb Jones, Herb, Herb Jones yeah where he lived um, so it was back there um, yeah. we heard we heard this sound and the, I mean we experienced some some strange things there but nothing too wild um, and no I don't think I don't think anyone on the cruise has individually experienced anything yet. But I mean, the you know, it's really hard to explain to people too. There is a massive difference between on the trail of, and then something like Boggy Creek Monster mm-hmm. or the Mothman Legacy. Um, when we make on the trail of, we are out there with investigators trying to find something. Mm-hmm. So that's the big difference. And, and if you really look at on the trail of, it's just getting started. So we haven't been doing this very long in that format. The movies, we aren't in active areas trying to find anything. We're trying to, right. to make a very cinematic movie, get, it, get really good interviews and B-roll and leave. So even though we're in places that people might consider like hotspots or whatever right. for weirdness, yes. we, we aren't we're probably not as tuned in to what to we're, we're not as tuned into looking for that stuff as maybe we should be or not as we should be, but we're just, we're doing something else. We're there to right. film and right. get out. And that's, so that's about it. Okay. Um, Lori wants to know, are you planning on bringing back the SAS what podcast in the future? Uh, no, SAS what has SAS what has been laid to rest. Um, our buddy uh, uh, Jeremiah, who does the Bigfoot Society podcast, um, he uh, is a big Sasquatch fan, and apparently, he's going to start doing an episode by episode uh, recap oh, of Sasquatch okay. on his show. Um, I mean, so like Sasquatch was. It's weird. Sasquatch was a big deal while it was going on, but no one realized it, including us. Like we were we had uh, tens of thousands of listeners and that was at a time where, where I don't think Bigfoot podcasts were really that big. Like it was, it was, uh, 
that was, it, we started the show in 2014 and it ran for two years. I mean, you're a vet compared to us. We yeah. only ran for like two or three years on that show, but I mean, it had a big listener base and it's always surprising when someone asks me about that show because <laughs> we, we kind of like unceremoniously ended it and then just started another show I, <laughs> with a completely different title. I get it. I mean, uh, we we went on a three year hiatus for night callers and came back. Uh, we actually did the same thing. We came back with a different title and then went back into night callers. So um, yeah. I mean, it's, you got to try something new. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. All right. Yeah, I think my problem was I just couldn't. I I reached a point where I couldn't. We didn't do interviews really on the show. We did occasionally, but we didn't. It was more just about Mark and I talking about Bigfoot. And okay. after you do 150 episodes or whatever, you're kind of like yeah. maxed out on what you can talk about. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Um, okay, so from Doug Willard, he wants to know, um, have you been to Adams County down by the river? Uh, Adams County, Ohio. Heck yeah. That's where we... Uh, we did episode six of On the Trail of Bigfoot down in Adams County. Uh, we were down there with the Ohio Night Stalkers. Yes. We actually had some, we had some weird stuff happen to us down there, and I don't think we weren't in the woods for very long that night, and we still managed to to run into some stuff. So I can't imagine what you could run into down there mm-hmm. in in a couple of days. The other thing is we were down there in December. Um, it was like unseasonably warm for December too. It was like in the fifties, even at night, it was in the like upper forties and fifties. So we were there at like, you know, you wouldn't expect it to be that warm in Ohio at that time of year. But um, yeah, it's funny. He said Adams County and my mind went to Adams, Tennessee for Bellwitch. <laughs> <laughs> like separating all these things gets a little difficult. You're but yeah, Adams County, Adams County is kind of like what I was talking about with Ohio and Kentucky. That's like you're you're real close to Kentucky. You're also really close to West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so the the terrain down there is very similar. It's more similar to what you would connect with Kentucky or West Virginia than you would Ohio. It looks more like those states than it does Ohio. Okay. Um, Heather wants to know, what was your best experience making small town monsters? Um, uh, man. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know what? Like, um, so there's a couple. We were filming Momo, um, and we were shooting uh, the very first day of, of principal photography on Momo, um, and we shot these recreations with these two girls in a in a VW Beetle, and um, we shot it in my sister's uh, barn with a green screen as yeah. the background. Then we green screened the car, and because it was supposed to look like a you know cheesy '70s movie, yeah. Um, and my wife and Tommy came to the set and I, I remember thinking how great it was to be able to, to finally be doing what I do for a living and have my family there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cause, absolutely. cause that just doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't happen very much with mm-hmm. us. Um, and so that was one. Another would be the Bell Witch shoot that we just finished. Cause again, I, I kind of like had all my family and mm-hmm. friends in one building and we're filming and everyone's there together. That's um, awesome. And then the others probably when Mark and I went to the to the uh, Olympic Peninsula, um, it would be the drive from like Mount St. Helens up to the Olympic Peninsula before I became violently ill and started vomiting nonstop <laughs> for eight hours. Um, I mean, that was, that was like a really fun drive going up there. And like we got to see Lake Crescent, which is just unbelievably gorgeous. And 
hang out with Derek and Shane before Shane tried to kill me by marching me up and down a mountain in an hour and a half and making me sick. And so it was really, (laughs) no, I mean like, (laughs) yeah, no, I mean, those, those are probably like three. I probably have a dozen more. I could just rattle off too. So probably. Okay. So from bear O'Brien, which of your movies or documentaries are you most proud of? Momo. um, I talk about a lot because Momo um, Momo is a really weird movie and it was like one that we conceived knowing full well that audiences would either get it or not get it and hate it. And so we kind of like went for it and made exactly what we wanted to make. And um, it turned out exactly the way we conceived of it. I mean, it, it is every bit of the legend of boggy Creek and creature from black Lake. It's mm-hmm. like the, the sort of love letter to that stuff that we wanted it to be. Um, so I've been re- I'm really proud of that. I told my wife tonight. Um, I hope the bell, Witch is as good as I think it is mm-hmm. right now, because um, it's just a very, like I, I've been showing it to some of the crew and like Mark told me it's, it's, it's our most mature movie. Like it just has a maturity to the storytelling he was telling me All about. Right. So I'm very excited to like, see if that translates to other people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think I'll be proud of that one. I was really, pr- I mean, there's, you're proud of aspects of each one. And at the mm-hmm. same time, I hate each one to varying degrees yeah, because you just like, you pick them apart by the time it's all mm-hmm. over. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I could, the one, I, I guess Momo is the one I just come back to as being the most, like the one I kind of like, it ended up being what we wanted it to be. And that doesn't always happen. Right, right. No, um, I mean, each one is like your child. Each one is like your child. You put your heart and soul into it and mm. it's hard to choose a favorite. You're not supposed yeah. to choose a favorite, but it sounds like you're really excited about the Bell Witch, um, is mm-hmm. that, do you get this pumped about every single one that you do or? No, no, no um, not at all. <laughs> uh, and it's not that you, you do put a ton of like love and effort into each one, but you, <clears throat> you get to try new things on certain projects. And then on other ones, you kind of feel like you're treading the same ground you've trod before. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the the only reason something like Mothman Legacy didn't get me pumped about the process was because it felt like it, we had done it before. Right. Now that's not to say that the movie itself is tr- tr- is just sort of like treading water where it's already been. I don't think it is at all. But in terms of the process of making it, we're doing things that are similar to things we've done before. Right. The reason the Bell Witch is so fun for me is we've never rented a single location and filmed every single recreation in that location over a period of days. Like we've never done that. So getting to do that, just that aspect of the shoot made it fun for us. Um, And then just parts of the documentary itself, the way we shot it was very different from how we've shot other documentaries in the past. We have these three historians who we kind of had talked to each other and then we would film that and just like have them talk for like 20, 30, 40. One of the conversations went for like an hour um, Mm -hmm. minutes and just shoot the whole thing. 
And then I I get to edit it in post and like find the storylines, you know, in those little conversations. And honestly, as we were filming them, I remember thinking, I don't know that we're going to be able to use any of these. And it turns out like all three of them are in the movie. Like every one of the conversations that we shot ends up in the movie. And actually like the pivotal one is at the very end where the three guys kind of discuss what they think alternate um, theories as to what might have happened with the Bell Witch. And it gets really interesting because it almost becomes like a murder mystery. Like this one guy believes there's a, there's like a cold case murder element to it. Um, And I mean, that's like why Bell Witch is so interesting too. It was visually, I told Zach, my director of photography before we shot it, I said, I want this to look like a haunted house movie meets a a detective film or police procedural. And so you get like these really like, you know, these creepy, like moving camera inside the wall shots and all that kind of stuff. But they're, they're up against these very raw, gritty handheld scenes with these three historians discussing Mm -hmm. who may have actually killed John Bell. Um, So it's, it's kind of cool. Like, I'm just really excited to see how people respond to it because it's got a lot of different visual elements to it. It's got the it's got that gritty like handheld stuff. And then it's got the, the really um, it's B roll. The, the scenery B roll is like, unlike anything we've ever done. There's a lot of like moving shots and literally like putting the camera inside a wall. We rented this scope camera with this tiny lens. That's like, like that long, like a mm-hmm. foot long. And you can run the thing inside of, we were running it into walls and stuff like that <laughs> inside of buildings. And if you know the story of the Bell Witch, it makes sense why we would do that. Um, so we're just, it's a very unique looking small town monsters movie. That's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, and that comes out when? We don't know. <laughs> I, I, um, Killing me, man. For, well, for Kickstarter backers, they'll get it in December. Uh-huh. Um, but our problem is we don't have a distribution deal for it. And that's on purpose. I haven't signed one yet. So we're waiting until we get the movie done before we even shop it. Okay. So for the general public might not see this movie until late, not, not late next year, but I would, I would think sometime in 2021, okay. the general public's going to, it's one more reason why people need to back the Kickstarters. Yeah. Kickstarter backers are literally going to have this movie on DVD and Blu-ray probably by like mid December. It's their Christmas present. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, so Sorry. one last question. Um, yeah. Where do you want to take this? Oh, you know, just pay my bills. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just want to um, be able to buy a Lamborghini and cry into wads of $100 bills. It's fine. Yeah. No, um, that'll, I mean, that'll never happen. It's funny. Like one of the things we hear the most often is like, you you guys make a lot of money doing this and we, yeah. we, we're just like normal people who run a happen to run a production company for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where I want to take it is I want to be able to hire crew members to work for the company and help me grow it so we can all do this and continue creating more and more content each year. Mm-hmm. There's a reason we're doing six titles in 2021 instead of three. Mm-hmm. Like we're literally doubling our output just to see what happens. So. Yeah. We're going to give it a shot and see what happens in 2021. But the the goal is to just keep growing it every year. 
Well, I think it'll pay off. I really do. I think it'll pay off for you. And then you're going to get an application from me to be mm-hmm. one of your crew members so that I can go to yeah. my bucket list spot. So it'll be fun. That works. Okay. Good. Um, so thank you so much for coming on tonight. I know it's mm-hmm. really late where you are, so I'm going to let you go to bed. But um, thank you again for coming on. I know everyone has is, is been uh, really stoked about this show. Um, you guys, I'm really excited for your next projects. Like, I'm really excited. Even if I do have to wait until next year, it'll be okay. There's plenty to watch, you guys. Uh, There's plenty to go watch until his new yeah, stuff Yeah, I mean, out. that's the one thing. Like, Mothman Legacy is coming out October 20th. So you don't have to wait oh, till next year okay. for that one. But uh, most of the others, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys saw the on the trail of the, big, the Bigfoot, The Journey. I personally am so excited about that one. So it'll mm. be worth the wait. Absolutely. Um, so thank you again for coming on and I'm going to let you go to bed now. Awesome. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, talk about some stuff and I will let you go while I do all that. Okay. All right. Thanks guys. All right. Thank you. Good night, Seth. Yep. All right. So real quick, I'm going to cover some upcoming events for everybody. We just had the Washita, uh, Bigfoot festival and conference with Shelly Alston outside of Mina. That went really well. Um, There was a lot of people there. It was a lot of fun. And so uh, we have the Texas Bigfoot Conference coming up. That is October 16th through the 18th. Uh, You guys can go online and buy tickets to that. That's put on by Craig Woolheater. Um, Then you have the Dewey Lake Monster Conference by the Lost Cryptids Conservatory. That is October 17th. I thought I would include that one on you guys. I'm trying to include stuff on here that's maybe not all down down south. Like, I don't want this just to be a southern show. So if y'all have events around your area um, that you're putting on, send them to me so that I can broadcast them here for everybody to see um, from your area, not just, you know, Oklahoma. We're not the be-all, end-all of the world, even if we do have the Washita's and we're pretty awesome. Um, Then we have the Falk, the 2020 Falk Monster Halloween Bash. That is at Alex Smith Park in Falk, Arkansas. That is Halloween weekend. Um, That one is put on by uh, myself, Keith Crabtree, Squatch Dogs, and William Lunsford. It's going to be a lot of fun, you guys. Alex Smith Park is a great little park. They've got it cleaned up. It's a safe little place to meet. Um, You can network and talk to each other. We're going to have activities. And uh, it's going to be family-friendly. So it's going to be really um, good to bring the kids and, and have a good time. And then, um, if you can't make that one because you are east of the Mississippi, um, you can go to the LBL meet and greet it's land between the lakes. That's also the same weekend. And then we have the boggy bottom Bigfoot conference in Colgate, Oklahoma. That one is November 7th and that one benefits the school there. And, um, so they're they're trying to get in a robotics program, and that one will benefit the school. So Marvin Leeper um, actually spoke at the conference I was at this past weekend. He did a great job, really nice guy. He's obviously been on my show before, so he's quality. And uh, so he will be speaking at that conference as well. So with that being said, the next conference is the Texas Bigfoot Conference, and what a coincidence. Our next guest is Craig Woolheater. He is the one who runs that conference. I'm going to have him on to talk about his experiences, have him talk about the conference, the history of the conference, stuff like that. So you guys tune into the live chat 
and ask him your own questions, um, hear about what he offers at the conference and, uh, you know, some fun facts maybe about the conference, um, stuff like that. I'm really looking forward to talking to Craig about um, what made him start this and, and it has grown um, over the years. It has grown to be just this huge thing. So with that, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to go to bed because I'm exhausted from my weekend of big footing and, um, seeing everyone at the Washita conference. So you guys have a great evening, stay safe, and please be kind to one another. Good night.